Welcome to the Some Days Here podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. So glad you're here. Some Days Here is a podcast for AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander leaders. In each episode, we discuss how we navigate living in both Eastern and Western worlds and how the unique blend of our experiences influences our faith, our life, and our leadership. Hey everyone, welcome back to Some Days Here. I am really excited to introduce our guest today, Bonnie Gray. She is amazing and she is a soul care coach. She's a speaker. She is a best-selling author. We're going to talk about her newest book that's going to release in April and we'll talk all about that. But I had the privilege of reading her uh, previous book, Sweet Like Jasmine. It was it was named the 2022 Christian Book Award. It was one of the finalists. And so it's beautifully written. Um, you know, Bonnie has penned other books as well. She writes for um, some amazing places like Proverbs 31, Christianity Today, Encourage, Relevant Magazine. Um, What I love about Bonnie is her attention to the state of our soul, and she shares really openly in Sweet Like Jasmine about her own journey regarding um, her childhood trauma and healing from anxiety, and we're going to talk about some of that today as well. So, Bonnie, just thrilled to have you on the Some Days Here podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, what a great name for the podcast. You know, Some Day is Here. I think all of us connect to that. We all long for the moment where we feel seen and recognized and valued and heard. And, you know, we're all grown up. We don't want to say that, but it's really true. That's what we all long for. So thank you for having me here. Well, I've been looking so forward to our conversation, and I have just really appreciated your heart, um, just my interactions with you personally, but also just how you really utilize your your platform to shepherd people's souls. You've done that in my life and with countless others. And so I just can't wait to talk more about this particular part. But for my listeners who aren't familiar with you, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your ethnic journey and kind of what um, what you've learned about your your cultural identity specifically since our our audience is Asian American Pacific Islander leaders I would love for them to hear um, some of your story well you know I always felt like I was split my identity has always been split because my mother is a male order bride from Hong Kong and mm-hmm. my father worked as a busboy in a noodle shop in San Francisco Chinatown So even being born in San Francisco, Chinatown, it was something that I always hid. I would just say Mm. I was born in the Bay Area. I was born in Northern California. I wouldn't say I was born in San Francisco, Chinatown. Mm. Because immediately I felt like people would have stereotypes about what that would mean. Right. And I just wanted to be like everybody else. I just didn't want to stand out. And I think that split personality of who I was at home, you know, speaking Chinese, eating Chinese Mm -hmm. food, and kind of growing up under different values from my parents. You know, once I step out the door, it's almost like, you know, I was under some kind of witness protection program. You know, I would have like a different identity, like incognito once I went to school. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to hide all those things that make me different and just try to listen and learn what other people talk about. And then you know, have a different identity out in school. 
Yep, I completely relate to that. I think growing up for me in a predominantly white environment, you know, speaking Chinese at home, my grandmother lived with us. It was just such a different experience than my friends and what they lived with. And, you know, they kept their shoes on inside the house and we didn't. And having to learn to code switch and navigate east and west. So did you... um, did you experience like, you know, what you're describing, I think is so common among API, did you experience like this um, awakening of like the redemption of that part of your journey? And, and how did that happen? I guess it started in college because I grew up being the only Chinese American and actually Asian American throughout my whole like elementary school experience. Mm. And then high school, Actually, um, now it's not true because there's so many great Asian American second generation who are now in schools in Northern California. But when I grew up in the 70s, um, mm-hmm. basically a lot of my classes, there weren't Asian Americans. So, you know, it wasn't until I went to college, I really was curious about my own Asian identity. Mm. So like, you know, first year of college, you have all these different tables and you know fairs and like oh you know i want to know about the hong kong identity and the asian american went to double acf which is asian american fellowship and um just started exploring that whole Mm. part of my ethnic heritage Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and what did you discover that that surprised you i think I think the thing that probably was my awakening when you talk about the awakening was really um, later when I became a mom. Because in Mm. college, when I was kind of exploring what it was to be Asian American with the college campus, I think that it was still focused around Bible study and serving. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't feel like I really delve into what it meant to be Asian American until I became a mom. Because I had to explore what it meant to raise my children. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's kind of weird totally. to say because even though I was with other Asian Americans, I felt like we didn't really like explore. I, I, I don't feel like I learned that much because I think we were all still kind of within that cookie cutter mm. box. And like I said, it's not maybe not be true anymore, but at least for me, when I went to college, I, I felt like it was great, still wonderful to be part of the Asian American community in studying the scripture and serving together, that was really fun. But in terms of kind of the issues of struggles with parents, struggles Mm -hmm. with toxic, dysfunctional family relationships. I mean, we still didn't talk about those things or or like peer pressure about wanting to fit in or like, Mm -hmm. um, is there anything other than, you know, being an engineer? (laughs) You know, like going for- And playing the violin and piano, yes. Achievement type of, discussion and talks like grades right. and stuff. So I, I didn't experience that awakening until I became a mom because wow. that's when the real issues of, you know, anxiety and depression and dealing with toxic relationships, my family and all those things came to a head once mm. I became a mom. So I would say it would be during the time I became a mom. Hmm. Yeah, I would. I mean, I hope all of our listeners will pick up um, Sweet Like Jasmine because you just, you're a beautiful writer and the way you described uh, your growing up and just 
what you walked through. I would love for those who haven't read your book yet, could you share a little bit of that story? Yeah, I think that for me, and every Asian American has a different story, but I mm-hmm. wanted to share mine because my whole Asian American identities were wrapped up in trauma. Right. Expectations and duty and obligation. What it did mean to be a oldest in my family daughter. So my mom mm. had always wanted a son and she always mm-hmm. told me that. Right. And she's like, well, what does it matter if you're going to get married and you're going to take on the name of your husband? This is really mm-hmm. old school. I always try to mm-hmm. tell people because I don't want people to kind of brush, you know, broad brushstroke about all Asians are like this. They're so old school. But for my mom, who was a mail order bride, I mean, mm. that was part of her value system. So I always felt yeah. like I had to grow up proving to my mother, hey, I'm just as good as a son. I can, mm-hmm. you know, I can achieve. I can have a good job. I can take care of my family. I am no different than yeah you know, a son. I felt like I constantly had to prove that to my mother to earn her approval. So Mm -hmm. um, Sweet Like Jasmine was actually me finding out, wait, where is my father? My father left when I was seven. Mm. And part of the family code is that you never talk about bad things that talk about the family. You don't want to bring shame. You you know, you're always looking forward. You never look backward. Mm-hmm. Like my mom would mm-hmm. say things like, why do you want to talk about the past? How's that going to help you? Don't ask right. me about your father. And so mm-hmm. it wasn't until I became a mom and I remember holding my second baby boy and I was like, okay, phew, you know, I only wanted two kids. I was like, I finally made it, quote unquote, out of this traumatic, dysfunctional <laughs> family I grew up with. And now I'm going to build my own. And it didn't hit me until that moment. I said, wait a minute, my sons are going to ask me one day, where is grandpa? Where's yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And why don't we have a grandfather? And when did we come to America? So my mo- my right. husband is um, Caucasian. Mm-hmm. He's white. And he's from a mill town in Washington State. He comes <laughs> yeah. from a whole military family that served in the military, like totally different from, you know, my family background. Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized, wait a minute, I have to figure out what am I going to say about my Chinese American, Asian American identity? What am I going to teach yeah. my kids? And Mm -hmm. that's where this journey of finding my father, why did he come to America? Mm -hmm. Why did he leave? Yeah. What actually happened between my parents? Mm -hmm. That sweet like Jasmine is the journey of trying to uncover those secrets and trying to find the father who left me and never came back, never wrote, never called. Mm. Wow. I loved how bravely you moved into your story. And I imagine there is... um, just a lot that you needed to untangle. And I think about um, mental health in the Asian American AAPI community and how what you just described with the shame piece is so often people in our community are unwilling to, you know, take medication or go see a therapist or really invest into our soul. Like we would not hesitate to do that for our kids or, you know, and want to help others but for ourselves it's so difficult and i think especially um because our culture is so shame-based um and there's just so many secrets uh things that we carry with us which is a weight especially as a child i think every time my 
kids hit a certain milestone of something that was traumatic for me in my childhood, and I see how old they are and their little worlds, I realize, boy, we are, we, I was carrying a lot for being nine years old or however that is. So um, what would you say to you know listeners who are identifying with, gosh, I do recognize I, I have some like funky dysfunction. Um, what would be some beginning steps? What would you what advice would you give to help um, listeners who really would like to experience growth, freedom, um, healing, and restoration? Yeah, I think that it was, it's like my body, I had to listen to my body because a lot of us that maybe have grown up in Asian cultures where you just don't complain. I mean, that's one Mm -hmm. of the family code is like, don't complain, don't be ungrateful, don't be unthankful. And so I think we carry that into our spiritual lives like, oh, I don't want to complain about something that happened to me in the past. I shouldn't complain Mm -hmm. about, you know, taking care of um, my children or what's happening in my marriage or like my job, I'm, uh, I'm unhappy. All these things that made us resilient as Asian American children, um, they're yeah. actually emotionally very unhealthy. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. learn that until my body started telling me. So what that means is insomnia. I couldn't sleep mm-hmm. and I didn't understand why. I suddenly mm-hmm. started worrying all the time about little things, obsessing over little things. I started having trouble making decisions whether Mm. they're big or small. I started experiencing Mm -hmm. social anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in my 20s, I was all about being with people. And then suddenly I found I just really wanted to be by myself a lot. And so I started seeing these kind of physical expressions from my body telling me I wasn't, Mm. something wasn't right inside my soul. So I think Mm -hmm. the first thing is just affirming and embracing that you know, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And so as mm. Asian Americans, we're really good about thinking through the truth, right? studying the scripture, and that's wonderful. But we ignore, at least I did, I ignored the soul part. How do I feel? And how am mm-hmm. I feeling? Like, those are just foreign vocabulary words. So first, it's just embracing that I need to listen to what my body's telling me. Mm. I think... Yeah. We're afraid what they're, what that might lead to, but that's the first thing. And then yeah. the second thing is just to think about what are the pieces in our story that we've just kind of like passed by and un- I, I had to be forced to uncover it because I started experiencing anxiety and panic attacks. Mm. And this is the part that I was really surprised at because, you know, I once I saw a therapist, I said, okay, so what is it we need to do? Let's just double up on the therapy and let's just yeah. solve this thing. And, yes. Yes. you know, like I'm taking medicine or something. And he's like, Bonnie, it actually doesn't work that way. Healing mm. takes time. It takes, you know, talking about the things that you don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. well, why does, why is it happening now? And I think a lot of us are worried to either see a doctor or see a therapist because that gets into all the things that we've been told to be quiet about. Right. And we don't right. want to be seen as incompetent. We always want to bring mm-hmm. something to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Did you know on May 4th, 2022, the U.S. Postal Service honored Eugenie Clark with a commemorative forever stamp? Eugenie was a pioneering marine biologist who followed her passion from the age of nine until her last dive at age 92. 
She was born in 1922 to an American father and a Japanese mother. Eugenie's childhood curiosity of marine life was sparked during her frequent visits to a New York aquarium. Convinced of her life's calling, she went on to earn advanced degrees in her field of interest. Even with a PhD, she faced challenges as a biracial woman in a male-dominated field on her way to becoming a trailblazing scientist and role model. Though Eugenie was best known for her innovative study of sharks, she discovered several fish species, including one that naturally repels sharks. This discovery aided later research on preventing harmful interactions between humans and sharks. Her nearly 75-year career leaves a legacy of overcoming obstacles, pursuing a dream, advancing science, and serving as an encouragement for others. And that's this week's Did You Know? Isn't it so interesting how deeply all of that gets rooted into us and how we're formed to really be that way? And then, you know, it bumps up against something like having kids or life being unmanageable. And then I I think what you're describing is like the body keeps the score, like that book, you know, we really, you know, we can try to think our way out of it, but there's that integrity of wholeness and that disconnect. And I I see that. um, I know that there's a statistic um, out there uh, that one of the highest uh, suicide rates is among Asian American women between the ages of 18 to 30 or something. It's really sobering. And I, I see the, the straining to try to prove ourselves or to um, be a good daughter, be a good friend, be a good Christian, be a good everything, and carrying all of that and trying to do that really ultimately in our own efforts and just, uh, and and hearing often unhelpful and incorrect theology even. Um, you know, we, we tend to quote the verses on being selfless and dying to ourselves without realizing that if there's no understanding of ourself, there's no self to, to give. And um, I, I would just love to hear, you know, what did you find that was helpful for you in those times when you were experiencing panic attacks and experiencing, you know, just the anxiety and, and coming up against really quite overwhelming emotions, I imagine. Well, that's the thing. I, I was just so good at not feeling my emotions. I didn't even know what was wrong when I started, you know, not being able to uh, fall asleep every two hours. I would have these panic attacks. My chest would tighten. Mm-hmm. I would have trouble breathing. And um, anxiety also results, like I was saying, Vivian, that you start obsessing over worries and you can't really make decisions You're, and you feel just like really stressed and tired. So. Mm. I just really was confused until I tried. And when you brought up, you know, bad theology, I tried to uh, talk to a pastor first because that's mm. safe. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately for this pastor, she had said to me, oh, well, it, you probably have some sin that you haven't confessed or you're not trusting God enough. There must be an area mm. of your life where you're relying on your own strength. Mm. And I think that's a stereotype I felt that was coming from yeah. me being Asian because she's like, well, you know, you come from an Asian family background. Asians are really achievement oriented. Um, mm. She started talking about my Asian heritage. And so like, you know, you're probably very achievement oriented. So you're always like relying on your own wisdom. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I start, I started mm. becoming traumatized, like yes. the second way sitting there. Oh. I remember it. 
Um, I mean, I understand that that's where she was coming from. That's her, um, I guess. Context. Yes, exactly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I would rationalize it with my mind. I mean, we want to do Mm -hmm. that. Like, okay, I understand the sister. Now where she's coming from. But you Mm -hmm. know what, listeners, it doesn't minimize the hurt and the wound that we feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I eventually found a therapist because I said, okay, there is a reason that my body's reacting this way. So I went towards Mm. the body direction and I found a therapist that specialized in PTSD. And I Mm. want to share this aha moment because I said, well, why am I experiencing it now? Because I was a Bible teacher and, Mm -hmm. you know, leading ministries in church and I didn't. I think it's a stigma. We don't want somebody to feel like there's something wrong with us. Right. Like there's something right. wrong with my family, something wrong with my marriage, you know, something wrong with mm-hmm, us. It's not like my mm-hmm. fate. Yeah. And so yeah. I said, why is it happening now? I'm like happily married and everything. I was just, you could just hear me justifying yeah. all the yeah. things. And he's like, well, Bonnie, a soldier doesn't experience panic attacks when he's on the battlefield, when he's mm. being strong. He's wow. taking care of other soldiers. They're fighting alongside and the soldiers being very resourceful. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. does the soldier experience trauma? It's when he comes home. Wow. So I want to just share this with all the listeners here on Someday is Here is that, you know, Someday is Here, meaning it's your turn to prioritize your needs, your desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, scripture mm-hmm. says that, you know, when we um a desire that's not fulfilled, mm-hmm. it leads to, you know, a broken heart. And yeah, God yeah. understands that. And so we mm-hmm. never talk about those things. But um I guess I just want to say that it doesn't mean that your faith is failing. It doesn't mean you don't know the truth. It doesn't mean you're mm-hmm. not a godly person. It just yeah. means you've been through some hard things. You've absorbed and heard and yeah. be quiet about something that's happened in your right. life. And actually there's secondary trauma as well. I was on a flight to go speak, uh, leader rest retreat. There was a soldier as you know, God has these mm-hmm. encounters. <laughs> he does not have PTSD, but his friend who fought in the war in Afghanistan did. And he said, wow. even just caring for his friend, mm. he experienced secondary trauma. So you may not experience yeah. trauma, but if your spouse, your children, yeah your sibling, you know, whoever, if you're in ministry, you are carrying all that burden. There Mm. actually is a cost. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. I can relate to that completely. So yeah, what you're talking about is so, so key and so important. And I think sometimes um, taking that first step is, you know, to move towards finding a therapist can be so challenging. But what I hope to create in the Some Days Here community is really normalizing that we have great resources and there is healing to be had and we don't have to continue to live the way that we do. I'm curious, did you see the um, Pixar movie, um, Turning Red? I haven't seen it yet. Okay, well, when you see it, um, I, you know, when I was processing with some of my Asian friends, the 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 women in this family turn into these giant red pandas and that's part of the story but the immigrant mom is this huge giant like bigger than a building giant and we wondered why she was so big compared to the other pandas in the family and we were processing and one of my friends just said you know I wonder if it's because she's the immigrant mom and having to navigate the new world and carrying 
that much more uh, trying to help the daughter, but also be in a new world and carrying the traditions while also trying to learn the new the new way. And um, I thought that was such a visual that really resonated. I think that there is a lot to be said about being that generation where, you know, our kids are experiencing something very different. Uh, but when we're trying to learn and navigate and deal with traditional ways of, of learning life and then being exposed to a Western, you know, uh, very linear type of teaching, you know, all of it can create confusion and then, yeah, identity crisis too. So I think what you're describing is is something that I can relate to as well in, in so many ways. Well, that kind of, I, I love that what you write from is what you've lived through and what God has met you in. And it just lends to, um, it's just not just head knowledge. I think it's worked through your life and your soul. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about your newest book that's coming out. It's it sounds amazing. So I'd just love for you to be able to kind of, you know, share with our listeners what you've been working on, why this has been a significant um, new um, uh, contribution that you are adding to. Um, yeah. To Thank all you for things. giving me the opportunity <laughs> to share about it. It's called Breathe. 21 ways to stress less and transform chaos to calm, breathe. Mm. And so it comes out of that journey of like, I literally couldn't breathe. It's, I couldn't take a full breath. Mm. So, you know, kind of shallow breathing. And so that was just a struggle, but it's really a metaphor. It's like, I'm always holding, we're always holding our breath. Like we mm. talked about Vivian, we feel like we're always on that treadmill with a be more, do more. Um, yeah. Am I trying hard enough? Am I improving? Am I growing? You know, like that's kind of like my mindset is I'm always having to reach for more. And mm. God, during the season of my life of healing was actually, I want you to focus on what is good for you. Mm. And it all seems like taboo to even say that, especially coming from my Asian American upbringing. What's good for me is who cares? What what difference does it make? Yeah. You know, those are kind of the critical voices, which is, no, what's good for everybody else? Yes, what yep. you should focus on. And then it bled into my spirituality of serving, right? Like, who cares yeah. what you want to do, Bonnie? Just yeah. whatever is needed. That's where I want serve, you to serve. Take one for the team. Yeah. Yeah. But is that really God's voice? I really had to challenge all those things. And so breathe is this journey to look at four different areas of my life that I want to mm. share with the readers and with all of us who, you know, we just want to exhale. <laughs> we want to stress less. But how do I do that? That's just a foreign language. So actually, mm. it was good. I can see where God's like, okay, let me take the person that's most stressed out, who knows nothing about, you know, do something for yourself. Like all those seem like totally taboo. Let me walk Bonnie through. So there's four mm. areas and I want to invite listeners to take a soul care quiz mm -hmm. at soulcarequiz.com. There's four areas, four types of soul care. One is emotional wellness. Mm -hmm. Second is physical wellness. Third mm -hmm. is spiritual wellness. And fourth is social wellness. Now, I put that in that order because emotional wellness is like, I am so bad at that. Mm. I'm so good at focusing on what I know the truth to be and just keep good, be like a good soldier, march, 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 you know, be a good friend, right. march, march, march. So, but I'm afraid of like, how do I say no? Mm. Yeah. What if I don't want to do this thing, but then somebody just asked me, 
Right. Right. Uh, what if I want to take time out to go do this, but like, am I worth it? Mm. You know, mm. like even something like I'm the first one to jump in my car and go buy some flowers and drop it off at a friend if I hear she's feeling down. Yeah. That's like yeah. the kind of person that I am. I just, I have so much joy in that, but I would never buy flowers for myself. Like, wait a minute, I can buy milk with that. I can buy butter. <laughs> like, gosh, like what? $8.99, you know, no, you know. <laughs> But then, you know, God started showing me in scripture, you know, Jesus said, hey, look at the flowers, see mm. how they're one day just thrown into the fire. And yet, you know, there's nothing more beautiful yeah, than yeah. even, you know, nothing in Solomon ever had or built. It's so beautiful. And I felt when I read that scripture, instead of just focusing on a lot of people use it as a bat, like, do not worry, look at the flowers. You know, it's in a very right. <laughs> way. Like, right. how dare you worry? Look at those flowers, mm. you know? But once I started on my healing journey, I heard God's voice in a different way, a loving way. It's almost like God's reparenting me. Yeah, yes. And so it was very kind. It's actually a reassurance. It's just a, mm. an encouragement to say, hey, you don't have to worry. Look at the flowers. They're only here for a few days, and yet I created them for you because mm. you're worth it. So wow. now when I look at the flowers standing there, you know, at Safeway, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I've heard Jesus saying, you're worth it, even if it's mm. beauty for a few days. And so wow. this book kind of shows these encounters with Jesus where it gives you permission because I needed it. I'm mm -hmm. like, I need permission. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm like, okay, this is kind of a challenge for me. Do I really believe I'm worth the beauty that only lasts a few days? And mm. science backs it up because I studied engineering at UCLA mm -hmm, and then Obidian mm -hmm. you doing ministry at UCLA. So our paths yeah. have crossed there. Um, <laughs> so at UCLA, I studied engineering. I needed the science part of me, the science girl mm -hmm. part of me, needed the scientific evidence to kind of under like reaffirm it. And it showed that there's a, there's a, a study that was done where flowers, where women kept flowers in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. their stress hormones cortisol was lower mm -hmm. than women who didn't have them so even if they're in the background just seeing them something in the way god created yeah. our eyes yeah when we look yeah. at the flowers our bodies actually relax relax that makes so much sense because i noticed that when my husband and i go to home depot to the garden section and we walk in there and instantly there's just this exhale of like taking in the green and the colors and just the variety. It's, I, I have experienced that. So yes, I, yay for science, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And seeing it connect to God. So this book, Breathe, is combining science with God's mm -hmm. word. And you mentioned the green, you know, the greenery. Mm -hmm. So science yeah. shows like actually the more density of green we see, the more uh, the, the body lowers cortisol and it starts relaxing and it's not it's not by coincidence right god says that yeah. you know we're like a tree rounded uh planted by streams of water so um it's so interesting that we need to take action like mm. not just to have the truth in our heads but in order yeah. for me to heal from anxiety i actually had to take action and do new things to help calm my body so Kind of to answer mm. your question earlier in the podcast, you know, what are things that you can do? We actually yeah. need to take action, things that will help mm -hmm. our bodies to experience God's peace. So a lot of times we like to kind of be alone and just pray and hope, okay, no more anxiety, no more depression, then nobody will know about it. But actually, it requires us to take action 
to experience the truth in our body. So this mm. book shares 21 ways that I started having to take different actions and make changes so that my body can experience the peace and yeah. the joy that I know in my mind that I have, but I wasn't feeling yeah. it in my body. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Well, I we will link up all of the different things you know, so that people can find this wonderful resource. I just love that. And to take the quiz, too. I think that that'll be really helpful for people to identify, you know, kind of where they land. Exactly. And, you know, especially the last few years, I'm telling you, there's been a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of trauma, and a lot of disappointment. And I, I think we kind of like the soldiers like we can like move through it in the moment but once we once things calm down everything will come up and so i think the the timing of your book is really um just divine you know i believe that god's god's in all the details so i'm glad that it's coming out when it's coming out well i'm curious i would love for you to share a little bit about you know you mentioned that it was it was um child you know having your kids that kind of moved you into a place where you sought healing um, and as you know raising mixed race kids I was curious like how have you as a mom helped your sons to embrace their Chinese heritage their ethnic heritage um, uh, one of the things that I really recognize in our some days here communities the future is really you know multi-ethnic and our you know multi raising multi-ethnic kids like my I'm you know, Chinese as well, but my husband is native Hawaiian, Portuguese, and Okinawan, and so my kids are mixed race, and all of those identities and cultures have, you know, there's history, and so as a mom, you know, how have you helped your your um, multi-ethnic kids um, embrace their, their Chinese heritage? Well, I think for me, because of my journey through mental health, my take will be different from other Asian American uh, men and women. So mm -hmm. for me, because I have been traumatized by a lot of shame through words, and I do see my kids, they're trying to find their identity, especially if they're now 13 and 16, as they try to navigate high school. These conversations that go to a public school are happening in mm -hmm. California all the time. And they yeah. have a lot of, I would say, stress, trying to hear a lot of the divisive things that are coming up in the rhetoric it's, it's very intense in their classrooms. So mm. for me, because my trauma had been with words and shame, I don't try to tell my kids what to think. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah, so the way I do it, because what brought me healing, remember I was sharing in my new grief book, it's about experiences and taking yeah. action. So I yeah. help my children embrace their heritage by cooking and food and taking them yes. to get to know other aunties and uncles that mm -hmm. are Asian American and helping them to like, we'll watch documentaries or we'll watch movies and yeah. helping like the music will like, for instance, I brought them to a Chinese or who concert. That's mm -hmm. an example, just more cultural yeah. experiences. And also the most important thing is sharing stories. Because mm. my healing, how I heal from PTSD, I learned is that sharing our stories is so important. And yeah. that's what's become my new ministry now, which really surprised me because once I shared my very Asian American stories that I had been fearful of, actually so many women connect to feelings of shame, loneliness, mm -hmm. having to yeah. be quiet. And so it's actually brought me more um, freedom 
So when I share my kids, my story of trying to navigate, find my identity, I mm-hmm. truly believe that will help them. Yeah. So yeah. rather than yeah. kind of telling them, okay, don't be afraid of your identity. Mm-hmm. Don't be I just yeah. tell them how I had felt shame. Yeah. And it's like you're modeling it that exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. before I was a mom, I was involved in youth ministry as well mm-hmm. as a missionary in Hong Kong. So for children, the biggest thing they love is experiences mm-hmm. and also hearing stories. Yeah. yeah. So that's how no. I am helping my children to learn about their ethnic diversity, embracing mm-hmm. different ethnic diversities without really using words to be instructive. And like I said, I know other people have a different passion and I know mm-hmm. other people might have different ways of making sure their children are embracing their diversity and ethnic heritage. Mine is through stories and through experiences and taking them to meet people, doing different things and food. So it's just, I know once they go to college, they're going to navigate their own ways. So I can only sure. give them my legacy, like what I, yeah. I'm learning, what I struggle with and what God's showing you. So that's kind of yeah. my rhythm of helping them develop a healthy self-identity because I also don't understand their stresses, right? They're now going to be third right. generation. Right, right. So I want to be open. For instance, I'll mm-hmm. ask them that asking questions is very, very key. Asking questions yeah. to hear their stories and not to correct them. That's so good, Bonnie. That's so good. Someday is Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden. And the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Someday's Here community, check us out on the socials at Someday's Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. <laughs>